Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Happy Podcast Show. Today, I'm excited to introduce our guest, Lee Benson. Lee is an author, a consultant, and an entrepreneur extraordinaire. I'm excited for Lee to share a little bit about his story in his new book, Your, More, Your Most Important Number, and the methodology that he uses for people to have achieve their, you know, everything they want to in their business and in their lives. He's also now using the same strategies to help not only companies, but families, which I'm really excited to hear about Lee as a mother of you know, three boys and knowing that family is the most important Indian. thing there is in this life. Um, what an incredibly cool um, segue for you to be taking all that your all your knowledge and skill set and insights into. So Lee, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you and your story that got you here writing a book and, and share whatever you want to about yourself. I, our audience, I'm sure, will be thrilled to learn more. Yeah, thank you, Lindsay. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm actually sitting here in Phoenix, Arizona in my home recording studio. So I've got a full uh, live performance stage behind me. And um, this is actually where I recorded the audio book uh, for Your Most Important Number, as well as the second book titled Value Creation Kid. And I've, I've been on a 40-year journey on how to create value faster within organizations. And I've started seven companies from scratch. I've had exits from a few million dollars to well into nine figures. Uh, the seventh company that I have today is called Execute to Win, or ETW, and we help organizations improve their most important number. Uh, another way to say it is we help organizations create value faster. And I, I would say that the primary job for every CEO or founder is to continually increase the value of their organization. And I've developed a way over the years, and this is kind of a 40-year overnight success story, if you will, um, uh, to come up with a methodology that allows that to happen faster. And it works in for-profit companies as well as nonprofit organizations. And I've worked with hundreds of organizations, thousands of leaders, and I'm, I'm seeing it work virtually every single time. And, and hence, I, I wrote the book, Your Most Important Number, to kind of outline what that whole uh, process looks like or methodology. That is so exciting, Lee. Um, with your experience, like, what do you... Tell us a little bit about this methodology and how you came to realizing it was kind of, you know, had so much there there for you to kind of triple down in your career and make this your basic focus at, at this stage. Yeah, sure, sure. So I think I think everybody leading an organization, they're, they're trying to get everybody um, aligned fully to create as much value as possible, whatever that happens to be. Um, but it's always a struggle. It's a it's a major struggle. And the, the largest company that I've started from scratch had a little over 500 employees. So how do you keep 500 employees fully aligned and, and working on stuff that really adds value? 
And one of the things I learned a long time ago is that traditional goal setting doesn't seem to stand the test of time. When I go in uh, to a new client and I look at all the goals and there could be, you know, 10 employees, 100, 10,000 employees, it doesn't matter. 90% plus of the goals just are very thoughtful. Everybody did what they thought they should put down, often put down what they knew they could accomplish. So it looked like they did what they said they would. Um, but it, it really wasn't helping the organization. And, and sometimes CEOs will say, hey, everybody's hitting their goals, but the company isn't going anywhere. So why is that? And so there has to be a better way. And, and I set out to say, well, how do we get each team to design itself to create the most value possible? And when that value is created, that it improves the next team's up value all the way to the top of an organization. And the methodology I came up with, it's called the MIND methodology, which stands for Most Important Number and Drivers. And in this, um, in, in, in this uh, methodology, every team has one number that does two things. Above all others, it says they're winning or losing the game. And two, it drives the majority of the right behaviors. And so every team gets to kind of come up with this. And, and in the for-profit world, uh, it's going to be some version of profit or if they're capital intensive, it could be uh, cash flow. In the nonprofit world, it's typically um, how they measure impact. Why is the world a better place? Because your nonprofit exists. They'll still measure lots of other things, uh, but they only measure those things to help them make better decisions to improve their most important numbers. So if at the top of the organization, let's just say it's net profit because it's a for-profit organization, and let's say you've got a, I don't know, 50, 100 employees or more, and you've got different functions. You have HR, you have marketing, you have sales, um, you have finance. Um, each of those functions or departments will come up with their own most important number. And my, my favorite one that I think really sets the example about um, coming up with the most important number that says you're winning or losing and drives the majority of the right behaviors is HR. Whenever I talk to HR leaders and I ask them, because the, the team needs to come up with their own number, what do you think that one number is for HR that says above all others you're winning or losing and super important will drive the majority of the right behaviors? They almost always instantly say one of two things. Well, it's either going to be retention or it's going to be engagement. That's why we're here as HR. We want to keep people and we want to have them engaged. It's like, okay, so let's play that out. Let's just pretend you hired me to run HR and you made my most important number retention. So I'm all about keeping hey. people. And so three years later, I have 95% retention. I've kept just about everybody. Nobody in our industry has come close to the retention numbers that we have. Never mind that 75 or 80% of the people can't do what we hired them Man. to do. But I kept everybody. Yeah. So this is an example of not um, driving all the right behaviors. So a better, most important number, and I talk about this in my book, uh, for HR would be the percentage of seats filled with capable people. Uh, and now we're going to really drive the right behaviors. If every uh, role has clearly defined outcome-based responsibilities, maybe a list of capabilities required to achieve those, and and we find people that can actually do that, what percentage of all the seats in the company are filled with people that um, are achieving their outcome-based responsibilities or over-delivering on them? And if it's if you have 100 employees and 80 of them are doing it, you're 80%. 
Now we're driving a lot more of the right behaviors because we're going to recruit better. We're going to train better. We're going to give leaders the tools they need to continually develop their people um, going through. And so it's really important that each team uh, comes up with their most important number that says above all others, they're winning or losing. And they have a serious conversation around, well, if this is it, What's a list of behaviors that will drive that are going to be really good to create value? And what's a list of behaviors that could be sort of uh, counterproductive uh, to what's going on? And once you go through that, um, again, with the mind methodology, most important number and drivers. So for my team, what are all the categories of work that my team should be really good at leveraging to improve their most important number? And that's where we do our best work to improve it. So the the beauty of this, it's super elegant. It's really simple. You look at any team. This is the score that says they're winning or losing. And I can see very clearly the best work they're doing to improve that number. And I can see that whether there's, you know, three teams or hundreds, if not thousands of teams in an organization and how it all bolts together. Super powerful because everybody focused on creating the most value possible that always sort of accretes up and and uh, creates the most value as an organization. Long answer, but that that that's it. It's a simple, elegant way of creating value with t- um, team by team and as an entire organization. So Lee, that's really that's really phenomenal when you say that we t- we have all kinds of assumptions when we're operating, like we're, we're measuring the wrong things, we're asking the wrong questions. Even the idea that setting goals is actually highly ineffective. Because we're setting the wrong goals, it sounds like, is what you're really getting at. It's we need to understand the core, the core measurements and what actually are the biggest indicators that drive business to be successful. So do you see themes then throughout different businesses? These are the themes you need, like you said, having the most competent people in positions. But what are some other um, kind of tried and true things that people should be looking for in their business or organization? Yeah, it. it- yeah, great, great question. It's it's not so much that oh we have the right numbers now everything's going to be fine. Um, if it doesn't matter what the tools are, you know KPI scoreboards or you know any other organizational tools, if the if the team members don't know which direction to turn the wrench, it really doesn't matter. So uh, the I'd, I'd say the biggest theme that I think every organization should focus on is developing their team members to create more and more value over time. So if you look at, um, there's planning in an organization, you can call it strategy sessions, et cetera. There's executing on strategy, there's leadership development, there's sales, there's marketing. There's a lot of activities that are, that are important and, and common themes. Um, leadership is is one of those that's just in, incredibly important. And most organizations don't have a definition of what it means to be a leader in their organization, which is which is interesting. Yeah, you want to be a leader. Well, what does it mean to be that? And and I believe you know um, what a leader should do. And I think the definition of of a leader that applies to most organizations that I've worked with is they get results and they foster an environment where every team member is intrinsically motivated and empowered to create more value over time. So this is a value creation journey for every single team member within every organization. So what's the environment that we create that they're operating within to create value and developing themselves? And hopefully we get those rules of engagement that create this environment right enough to where they advance even faster. So leadership development's a 
it, it's a really big one, and most aren't very intentional about it. Uh, so I, I think I think what I said there is that this is what it means to be a leader. Now, when you develop a leader, um, most organizations try to have a one-size-fits-all. Everybody read this book or everybody go to this leadership course for three days. And one size doesn't fit all. The thing I, I really love about the mind methodology is that if I can see a leader's most important number, the best work their team is doing to keep it on track or, or even over-deliver on it, and let's say they're behind. When I look at the work that they're doing, I see their most important number, I see their justification for it, I see the other things that they're measuring, I know within 15 minutes exactly where that leader needs to develop. And that's that's the surgical leadership development that every leader needs. What's holding them back the most from creating more value today? Let's lean in there. And then and then at any point in time, there's going to be something over all other things that are holding leaders back um, uh, from creating more value. And just keep that in focus as you're as you're doing your leadership development. Does that make sense, Lindsay? And how you it, think about it? Absolutely it absolutely does. As a leader, I just think all the time. You know you. You often have certain skills as an individual. We all do. We all have kind of our strengths, our toolkit of that makes us get through life and that we accomplish past goals with so that we have these tried and true moves, these signature moves, if you will. And sometimes they actually are things that um, become hindrance in new situations. I love how you said it's like not one size fits all because I think the greatest leaders I've ever worked with not only are they incredibly self-aware, willing to have hard conversations, but they're willing to pivot. They're willing to try new things and say what worked before that got us here won't get us there now. I, I, this isn't working with this particular group or this industry or this season of life or this time because the world is an amalgamation of change. Like it's constantly ideating and pivoting. And there's so many factors that, you know, we have to contend with. And so I love what you're I love what you're saying um, about using this framework to, to inform those decisions. That's that's really powerful and makes a lot of sense. So currently, tell me a little about your business. You you have the book. Where, how can people get the book and where can they learn more about what your process is? Oh, sure. Yeah, the, the book is, again, titled Your Most Important Number. You can go to our website, which is etw.com. And you can get the book there, or you can find it in over 40,000 channels. Anywhere books are sold, you can find this book. And the audio book, I actually uh, recorded right here in the studio, 25-minute interviews after each chapter for even more insights and background. Uh, the last chapter is actually a DIY chapter, so if you want to take a run at this yourself, and it, it actually works really well. I get... Um, really great messages from all over the world of people that read the book and they're now uh, running their companies this way, changing the language a little bit, um, giving everybody a most important number. And, and they're saying the results are just fantastic. You know, going from a lot of chaos and complexity made it really simple. Instead of being a little bit behind each month or barely making the numbers, now they're overdriving. So yeah, the, the website ETW, you can find the book and and there's a couple other things that, that we do here. Um, uh, one is that we will help organizations implement this if they want. We have a, an internal consulting team that, that works with companies all over the world uh, every single day. And I stay um, doing that work every day myself. I, I feel like I have to be connected to the front lines to make sure that I'm staying really current with what works in the real world. 
Um, so we do that, and we have a growing number of externally certified uh, consultants that can help folks do this as well. That's cool. And I also I also run CEO Masterminds. We call it Execute, and you can find that on the website. And it's different than most of the others, you know, like Vistage, YPO, EO, and a number mm-hmm. of those that ha- they could have 12 to 18 members and and it's um, great to have the community, but the, the big challenge they have is they have a superficial challenge and you don't know enough about each other's organization to truly use a majority of your brain power to help them. And what I do in these organizations, um, in these groups that we put together, is that we limit it to eight. Um, it's a one-day commitment a month and... Every two months, we do a deep dive into everybody's business. We apply the mind methodology to these CEO um, uh, peer advisory groups, and the results are quite spectacular. And because everybody can see so deeply into each other's organization, mm-hmm. it's easy to use all your brain power to, to help them. And usually when somebody brings up an issue or a problem, um, almost always it's a symptom of something else going on. And the more we know about a person's business, the easier it is to see the root cause of what's actually happening. And the mindset of the folks uh, in these in these groups is that, hey, we've invested over half of our retirement money in this conglomerate made up of these eight different you know, businesses. And we want to make sure we get a really good return. So what do you want to know? What do you want to see happening? Where's their risk, you know, et cetera? And and the results are spectacular from that, and and it's almost like we never have enough time to go as as far as we want. But uh, that that's a pretty exciting thing. That's too. really cool. So, I mean, you've been doing this with leaders in business and focusing on all kinds of different organizations, and now you're moving into families. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That sounds so exciting. Yeah, my, my whole career so far has been about creating value within organizations and accelerating that value creation. And um, with my co-author, Scott Donald, we wrote a book, we published it a couple months ago, and it's titled Value Creation Kid. And the subtitle is The Healthy Struggles Your Children Need to Succeed. And what we're getting at there is that I think with the best of intentions, so many parents are trying to remove all struggle from their kids because they don't want them to have to struggle the way they did. And then when you fast forward and we launch them into adulthood, they're not ready to be an adult. They're not financially competent. They're not confident. Uh, they haven't you know, built any you know, real skills around being able to create value in the world. And so we're backing up saying, well, what would that environment look like and we've been working with hundreds of families, uh, you know, ensuring because it's this is important to me that it'll actually work in a low income and middle income family, especially low income families. So we we developed something we call the gravy stack method, and we outline it in the book. And the gravy stack method has four simple components: uh, first is value creation, second is house rules, third is financial competency, and fourth is healthy struggle. So on the value creation side, um, there's three macro buckets you can create value in. First is material value. Second is emotional energy value. And third is spiritual value. And, and I, you know, we, we try to help the kids sort of discover um, in this environment, what's your value creation superpower? And if parents start talking about value creation, uh, they, they, start, they start thinking about that. And every kid has a yet-to-be-discovered value creation superpower, and this helps them get there a lot faster. 
In fact, I believe the whole purpose of an education is to create value in the world, not get a good grade, get a diploma, get a degree, get a job. That's not very inspiring. But what if right at kindergarten, they came in and they said, hey, the whole purpose of an education is to create value in the world. How would you like to do that? Wow, are kids responding to that conversation, like big time. And then the the second piece is house rules. So what are the expectations? So at every age, as, as children start to get older, um, what's their job for the family? What are the things they're expected to do? Yeah. And then there are expenses. As they get older, which expenses do they start picking up themselves? And then third, how do we um, give them opportunity to earn extra money? So they need to earn money and be able to sort of manage all this stuff and, and then be fully ready when they launch into adulthood. Um, and then the, the, the third area um, in the gravy stack method is financial competency. So we teach um, financial literacy, but the application of it so they can actually be financially competent. And my co-author founded a company called Gravy Stack, and you can look at it at gravystack.com, but it's a financial literacy slash competency app for kids. So wow. how you how you earn money, save money, share money, spend money, um, invest money, et cetera. And, and there's over 100 games that they can go through to become more and more financially literate and eventually, of course, financially competent. And then the, the last part of the four-part gravy stack method is healthy struggle. How do we design healthy struggles for, the, for our children, for all, all children, so they can learn to create more value out of those struggles? And there's something in the book we call the value creation um, uh, cycle. And so there's a healthy struggle to develop a capability, and then that builds confidence. Don't stop there. Use that to create value. And then the more you do this... And each time you create a little bit more value, the more the kids and, and adults, for that matter, learn to trust healthy struggle. So when things are tough, they don't act like victims. They're like, yeah, I've done this before. I know I can get through it. And I've got a story yeah. I can share here in a bit Please. about how I got on this on this track. But it's it's an interesting concept, and and parents need to be okay watching their kids struggle. It's it's never a question that the kids are loved. I mean, they, they should always feel loved. Um, however, I think a big part of a parent's job and, and their, their village or community is to help them develop into very self-reliant, value-creating adults um, that are all about healthy communities for themselves or families and, and um, you know, any, any groups that they interact with. How, how does that resonate with you? I understand you have three boys. Totally. So how does that resonate? 100%. I'm like, I, I mean, everything you're talking about, I'm like, what's the name of the app again? Just to go back to that real quick. What's the name of the app? Yeah, um, Gravy, Gravy Stack. Stack. And you can find it on the website, gravystack.com. Cool. I just love that you're doing this. And and that's... Yeah, that's perfect. Anyway, keep well, going. Thank, so yeah, it thank, does resonate with me completely. Yeah, so I... Um, uh, when I was growing up, I, I had a, um, it was an unhealthy, toxic, and in some ways dangerous home environment. Um, there were some really bad people. Uh, but at about seven years old, I had a neighbor ask me unsolicited, uh, not a friend, uh, hey, would you pull weeds in my garden for 25 cents an hour? And so I'm 61. So back then, 25 cents, I could buy two candy bars and, and have change. So this is great. So I'm doing that and I'm exchanging my best efforts for her accumulated best efforts. And then I thought, well, 
this is a lot of hard work. I was doing it every couple of weeks. Um, I wonder how I could earn even more money. And where I grew up, it snowed a lot in the wintertime. So I started shoveling snow, uh, 50 cents a driveway, and I could do um, one every 30 minutes. So I just fourfolded my money. Well, that's great. And I had to, you know, get the confidence to go knock on doors and ask and all that. And then I then I got a paper route. Then I had a couple of paper routes and then a, a dishwasher, busboy, a cook. And by the time I was kicked out of the house the beginning of my senior year in high school, I already bought my own vehicle. I was already financially competent and independent. Um, I slept one night in my Chevy Blazer, no big deal. And the next night I had a roommate in an apartment. And it was a non-event. Um, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I just kept going on this value creation cycle. And and uh, and then I graduated high school in the 1980s. I made most of my money playing in rock and roll bands. And some years we played hundreds of nights a year. And it's like, well, that's really cool. And then I, I um, you know, started my first business, second business, and then kept going. And I, I just learned to really trust that I can do anything I want to, but if there's going to be an amount of struggle to to get there to have the capability to actually do it. And and so that that's really been my journey, starting with pulling weeds. And it, it was a whole environment outside a house that really wasn't that healthy to um, that I could trust and I could count on it, I could lean on it. And my siblings, a lot of them didn't fare nearly as well because they stayed in that environment. Wow. So... I think it's I think it's super healthy for for everyone and and you know so yes I've been really good at material value creation um, however I think if I had a superpower it's really more in the neighborhood of emotional energy uh, value creation positive emotional energy I think it's the scarcest commodity on the planet a lot of people say well time's the scarcest commodity because you never get it back well. I'd rather live twenty percent, um, a twenty percent shorter life with my emotional energy on nine or ten, yeah. as opposed to uh, a fuller life where it's only on one or two my entire life. You know, it'd be such a better life. Wow! And and so I think I've been really good at that. And even even music, you know, if if kids, you know, some of them aren't all about money. Although I think we have to have enough money to maintain our our the lifestyle that we want and pursue our passions. And every every child that I've talked to, and I've spoken to thousands of high school kids, when I ask, "Are you do you feel better about yourself when you're dependent on someone else, or if you're self reliant?" And they all say self reliant, like instantly. So that's that's really important. But if if their main motivator isn't making a whole bunch of money, and you don't have to, it's really about being fulfilled, and I think raising you know sort of collective human consciousness. Wow, um, it's. Uh, uh, emotional energy could be it. And one of my big ones was music. And, you know, imagine imagine a child writing a song that someday a billion people listen to it and uplifts them when they hear it. That's pretty incredible, you know, what, what can yeah. happen. And then the whole spiritual side, what does that mean to you? It's different different to everybody. But that's that's kind of my journey and makes total sense. And I never got off the track and I'm still on the track. Oh, wow, Lee, it's so inspiring. I love that you took the heartache and the trials of your childhood and not only became a resilient individual from it, but you now are using the empathy that you've gained from that to try to empower others to, to be able to have the same levers that you use to get out of your situation. I think that's really inspiring. I think it's so undervalued, um, this emotional, when you said the most scarce commodity is emotional. Did you say, say that again? It's emotional 
Well, emotion, positive emotional energy is the scarcest wow. commodity on the planet. Wow, that you. is like, quote, that should be like an Instagram quote because there's no doubt in my mind that that's true because as you said, you, you know, say that you've got an incredible business making gazillion dollars, but if you're depleted inside and emotionally dead, and I, I just recently was an event with um, a ton of very successful people. We're talking some of those successful people in the world, A-list celebrities, billionaires, you know, supermodels. I mean, it was room filled with people and the emotional tenor there was not one of light and happiness and goodness. It was like people were hurting. Like I could really feel it. I could feel there was this, I mean, really? it was like palpable. And I remember thinking, man, like power, there's so much power in one room and yet it's not being used in a way that feels, at least to me. And I was obviously making my judgments about it, but I, I really think I'm intuitive about some of that resonance, but it was like, man, there's, you know, this event that I went to, I just remember thinking it was a pretty intimate event. And I just, people seemed really unhappy because they were unwarm and they were unfriendly and they were guarded and they were closed down and they were, seemed really self-focused, you know what I mean? So it was kind of like, oh, wow, like all this power and all this incredible platform. And yet people are just feeling, you know, they're so parochial. So like, yeah. Uh, in their own heads. And anyway, it's fascinating what you say. So I couldn't agree with you more that emotional, um, you know, intelligence and happiness and joy and peace are the most important things in this life. So I think that's really, really profound what you're saying. Um, Lee, tell me a little bit about when, you know, when you look at families, like uh, having worked with a lot of executives and probably high achievers, I've worked in the world of philanthropy for 20 years of my career and I've worked with a lot of ultra high net worth families and there's a big dynamic that happens in the next gen wealth inheritors of the the people where there were not the principles to build the wealth and them inheriting wealth and then the emotional turbulence that comes from suddenly receiving money they didn't work for and how that can create all kinds of themes unworthiness to receive it um, insecurities about their lack of self-reliance not knowing who their real friends are even things like um entitlement things that can come from from that too there's there's like a cost to some of it and i guess it's all relative too because i do work in the developing world all the time and relative to the net worth that people in in africa that we work with or, or south or sub you know southeast asia or south america i mean what i'm giving my children creates those same dynamics to some extent on a relative scale does that make sense um it, it, we see it all the time like i it does. i'm giving more financial abundance and security to my kids than i had growing up you know and so i'm seeing some of the cost of some of that it's a unique thing do you ever help families work through that because when you're focusing so much on the kid becoming self-reliance i'm sure that plays deeply into how the parents actually um where they sit financially does that make sense yeah yeah, and absolutely. And it goes into that category of healthy struggle. It's so easy for an affluent, you know, family, the parents to just make it easy. Whatever the kids want, they get whatever they want. They get a nice car when they're, you know, of age to drive and go to the best colleges if that's really what it's supposed to be about and um, trendiest clothes and, and, and everything else. Um, that's not healthy struggle. And, and so how do we design a journey to where they can be self-reliant adults? And, and one really key point here is to be uh, intrinsically motivated, not extrinsically motivated. And if you make your primary drive and motivation, and I think in a lot of ways, um, uh, you know, purpose or identity, uh, creating value in the world, 
um, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if you don't get enough TikTok likes. It doesn't matter if you're not in the cool kids club. It doesn't matter if, you know, you lost a competition, whether as a kid or as an adult in business. Um, you're just doubling down and creating more value. You make that really what it's all about. Uh, so imagine like a personal story for me. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune um, uh, disease and there's a chance it could take my hands out of the game. And so I wouldn't be able to play guitar. What if I identified as a, as a guitar player and that happened? What would that do to me? It would crush me. But I identify as somebody that creates a lot of emotional energy and material value for my clients. And I, I um, um, have my own way of thinking about spirituality and the, and the value that I create over there. Um, I would just have a couple more hours a day to do other things to create even more value. And what if, yeah. what if a child identifies as a superstar football player and they get injured and they can't play and it crushes them? But if their thing was creating emotional but, energy, spiritual and material value, they would just shift the yeah, focus to continue to create the value. So it's it's the same for like you describing that that event. You know, it sounds to me I, I wasn't there like a very competitive event, some of the top people in the world and look at me and where I'm going and I'm ahead of you. And it's like this competitive ladder thing. And I love competition. I love to win. I love to compete. But when I lose, I just learn a ton and I keep going and I'm still happy. I'm a happy warrior, if you will. Um, but if you make it about about that thing instead of creating value, I think it makes for super happy, unhappy adults and it can crush kids. And so the, yeah. the, the point here, again, is I, I really want to drive towards creating intrinsic motivation within children and they're just not going to be influenced by all the other stuff going on out there that most kids today are influenced by. You won't have the depression and all all the other, you know, terrible things that really expose themselves as we, we went through this uh, COVID yeah. pandemic. I love that intrinsic motivation instead of extrinsic motivation. Our culture is so much in the West, so much set on external motivation. It's what do people think of me? What is the positive feedback loop? I mean, I have been so susceptible to that, like caring so much about, you know, how do I create values for others so that I can then be feel that they value and love me so that I feel okay with myself? And the healing journey has been, and I think for a lot of people, I think this is a very human experience. I know I'm not alone in the struggle with this is to learn how to like have the joy and be like, I feel really good about what I'm doing for me. And then, you know, those who who appreciate and value the value I create will be attracted to me and and we and then there's a very virtuous cycle from that you know it's kind of like it's all the abundance is pouring outward not trying to gain it you know um in a transaction does that make sense yeah. yeah so i love i love what you're talking about um so are you do you have a family i mean look how funny you got all those instruments behind you and i'm i'm so glad you still have use of your hands and how how is your health going and tell me a little about you personally too um I've never been married. I don't have children, um, but I've taught martial arts for decades, and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of kids. And in high schools, um, I'll speak to high school seniors, typically sometimes uh, juniors and smaller groups of 20 to 50, espousing the virtues of entrepreneurship. And I've, I've spoken to thousands of them, and I, I just love this. And I, you know, I tell the kids that you're going to be running the world that I age out and I'm never going to stop working, but I will eventually age out. And even though I am a science fiction buff, I, I, I really enjoy those kind of movies and, and books, 
I don't want to live in a dystopian future, so I <laughs> want it to be amazing. And you're going to be leading the world that, that I age out in. And anybody that creates a job uh, is a hero of mine. And, and, I, and I tell the kids that when you create a business and you create a job and you're paying somebody, that's one more person that can contribute to supporting their family. That's, that's amazing. That, that really Abs- is. Absolutely amazing. That is amazing. And, and so I, I, really, I really look at our children and I say, um, we, we, have to, we have to create the conditions, just like I do in companies when I work with organizations, we have to create the conditions that allow them to figure out how to create value in real win-win value, not I got mine and somebody else lost. If you want to sustain something for the long run, it's got to be a win for both parties. And if we can get our kids going in that direction, it's going to be a, an amazing world for us. Absolutely. Maybe I'll retire on the big island of Hawaii one of these days. Do it, brother. It'll, it'll be incredible. It's incredible here. Yeah, I, I love this. What an edifying conversation. And I can't wait to read your book. I wish I could have read it ahead of time. I was traveling pretty extensively, but um, I would love to uh, to learn more. How can people get um, access to, aside from the tools at Gravy Stack, how can they get access um, to getting maybe one-on-one coaching for their family or for their business in terms of, um, you know, is the best way to reach you just through the website? Is that the best way? Yeah. On, on the first book that we talked about, Your Most Important Number, if you go to my website, etw.com, um, you can contact us. We can help you. There's a lot of free resources there. Um, so happy, happy to help. Uh, if you're a CEO and interested in a much more powerful, growth-minded um, CEO peer advisory group, we would love to have you join one of our groups. Uh, for the second book, Value Creation Kid, if you go to the gravystack.com website, you'll see the book there, but you can also find Value Creation Kid um, in over 40,000 channels as well. And Scott Donald and I, um, Scott, my, my co-author, we recorded joint interviews after every section in the book, so you get even more if you listen to the audiobook. And on the website, um, to get to your question, there are a lot of free resources. I have a number of uh, families around the country that have uh, downloaded the worksheets and they've got them up on the refrigerator and the kids are filling them out, the parents are filling them out. So you don't even need the app to get going. It's a pretty simple gravy stack method to put in your household. The app makes it super easy to hold it all together. And then we have uh, parenting groups that you can find out about on the gravystack.com mm. website. Incredible. And I think we're going to be doing our first, um, in September, our first two-day workshop for uh, parents um, on the gravy stack method and how to, how to really de- uh, deploy this. And so ex- excited about doing that. And, and I, I just have to share uh, one little story here. So yeah, uh, a family in Boston, a uh, father texts me and they started the gravy stack method, which is, you know, value creation, house rules, financial competency and healthy struggle. And he texts me, he says, my, my daughter, um, this is what she said to me. And, and his daughter's nine. And she said, thank you, Daddy, for leaving the dirty dishes for me to do to help me on my value creation journey. Unbelievable. That is so sweet. Unbelievable. That's so sweet that she had that kind of awareness. This is happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, I, it, it just makes the point, and there's hundreds of examples like this where they, they get the language. It resonates. Yeah. It makes sense. That's so great. Well, Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. Just to end, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? We have 
a lot of, you know, high achieving and high net worth and high capacity and also high character people, just wonderful people that have good hearts. A lot of the topics we talk about are things that are, you know, trying to self-actualize or do good in the world or have an impact. You know, that's a lot of the narrative and conversation that we have on the on this podcast. So is there anything else you want to share or leave with us that might be like an, a gold nugget we can take from the interview? Yeah, I I would I would say that it, um, if you want to have a personal most important number, mine is my internal fulfillment quotient, and so am I over time becoming more and more more and more fulfilled because I'm creating value in the world the way I set out to do. I think that's why I'm here. Um, I think it's what I'm really good at. I enjoy doing it. Um, I don't need to work, but I'm going to do this as long as I can, hopefully for decades to to come. And, and I think when you do that and align everything to it, um, it just really builds that in, intrinsic motivation. And, and I recommend, you know, even if you don't have children, reading the book Value Creation Kid, The Healthy Struggles Your Children Need to Succeed, there's so many lessons in there for adults as well. I think that'd just be a great read. Well, thank you so much, Lee. I'm very grateful for uh, your coming on the show today, and I can't wait. So I'm literally going to immediately get this on Audible, right? You can find it on Audible. Get both of those books and check them out. So yes, thanks again for coming on the show, Lee. Appreciate you. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.